Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. We can uh, return to our seats. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Hello, Uh, my name's John. My name's John Stevens. I'm a member of the church and I'm giving the sermon today. Um, Okay, so the sermon today, uh, fitting uh, well with what we've been having the last few sermons from Jonathan, uh, they've been about darkness. um, And this sermon today is about demons and the demonic. and I'm speaking today, and uh, I'm also going to speak next week, so I'm not sure how long the sermons are going to be. It might be a bit shorter than normal, but, but I'm going to speak next week. Um, so I'm going to, this week I'm going to talk about uh, what demons are, and try and give a picture of, of demons in the Bible. Um, and then next week we're going to talk a bit more about, you know, maybe uh, how we might, how we might follow Christ's ministry to deliver demons. Um, so look a bit more at that. So that's maybe a bit more application. That's kind of the plan. But um, So talking about demons fits very well with what Jonathan's been talking about with regard to darkness um, and darkness in our lives and what the darkness is and our need to fight against the darkness. Um, but I actually uh, first felt to speak about this subject um, last May pretty sure it was May. Um, and so to kind of explain why, why I felt to talk about this particular issue and explore this issue a little bit more, um, I'm going to spend, kind of take a little bit of a detour and talk about me and what I do in my job and, and, and why I thought about this particular thing. Um, and so I, I need to, I mean, the, the first, I need to say before anything else, um, I think like, as we look a bit deeper at the demonic and, and demons and stuff like that, it's not necessarily an easy thing for us to look at because um, cause, cause, like, there are things in the Bible, uh, like Jesus delivers uh, a demon from a man who's been blind and then he can see, and someone who's a deaf mute and then they can hear and speak, and a boy who appears to basically to be um, epileptic. Um, and he delivers the demon out of him, and then he's no longer epileptic. Um, But Jesus also um, heals all three of those conditions from someone without it being demonic. Um, So it's it's not that easy to have uh, clarity over what is demonic and what isn't with regard to illness and things like this. Um, And what I'm about to talk about, I do in my job, is kind of related to mental health. And I want to say now, very clearly... Not all mental health illness, of course, not all mental health illness is demonic. Um, And I'm going to talk particularly about schizophrenia, which is a very psychotic illness. And again, I'm going to say to you that I firmly, obviously don't believe that everyone with schizophrenia, that that's demonic. In fact, quite the contrary. I believe that the majority of illnesses like this are not demonic. Um, and obviously mental illness is a valid thing. And I have, obviously I have to say that at the start, because obviously a number of you will know people with a history of mental illness or, or will come in contact with those things, or know people with epilepsy. And I don't want to offend anyone by suggesting that everyone you know or this condition you might have is demonic, when in fact it's a physical illness. So I just want to be clear that I'm not in a position of complete knowledge on this subject. 
but I don't want you to think that I'm implying everything like that is demonic. But you will understand why I'm going to talk about my job and, and what I thought as I go on. Okay, so I work in, uh, I'm not a mental health professional, but I work in supported housing, um, working with mentally disordered offenders. And I've done that for some time. And so because I'm daily in contact with people with, with mental illness, obviously I have to have some understanding of that subject. And so what I do in my job, I work in a hostel in Brixton. I'm not going to tell you the name of the organisation I work for. Um, but <clears throat> it's like a hostel, uh, and 26 people live there, and these people have a severe and enduring mental illness and a history of offending. And usually their offending history is related to their severe and enduring mental illness. Um, and what happens is uh, these people will have been usually sectioned, uh, possibly whilst in prison, or they'll have been sectioned whilst in the community, um, and they'll be on medium-secure unit hospital admissions for some time, so that's like a locked ward, and they'll be there for some time. And then they'll be uh, deemed mentally well enough to come and live in the community. Um, but quite often, people will have been living in hospital for like 10, 12 years, something like that, before coming back into the community. And uh, these people wouldn't be used to living by themselves. So instead of going straight into a flat, uh, people come and live in the hostel that I work in. And over kind of three or four years, we like, teach them life skills and get them used to living in the community and get them used to managing their mental illness and used to managing their offending and help them not to isolate themselves but to be reintegrated into society because obviously the stigma for people with serious mental illness and a history of offending is quite high. And then after three or four years, um, they're able to move to their own flat in the community and hopefully then living in their own flat, um, they'll, have, they'll have kind of developed the independent living skills and coping mechanisms to live by themselves. And so what really, in effect, we do is we work with people who are like some of the most excluded and marginalised from society because they're literally locked in an institution for, for years and it making them bringing them back so they can be very much included in society and, and, and in the community and stuff. So it's a really good thing that I do, and obviously I can go to bed very proud of myself. While so many of you work in jobs that just make somebody else rich, I am helping, no, I just, I just. Um, so, uh, no, but the majority of the people, like I say, that I work with are, uh, have schizophrenia. Um, and schizophrenia has often been portrayed in the, uh, kind of in the media or the public perception as something that's kind of like a personality disorder, so someone would have a multiple personality or something like that, but that's not what schizophrenia is. Um, schizophrenia is basically characterised by like, disordered thoughts and thought patterns and disordered emotions. Um, it causes a thought to be mostly genetic, or some substance misuse related, or some situational. So some people growing up in like deprived, poor backgrounds. Um, it's much more common with, with deprived backgrounds in this country. Um, and so the, the, the most of the symptoms for schizophrenia are, there are positive symptoms, they're called positive. They're not positive, but they're called positive symptoms. And these are uh, usually uh, hallucinations, so like auditory hallucinations, so people hearing voices. 
Um, so the voices they hear will usually be negative voices, uh, can be a number of voices at the same time, um, negative thoughts, planting thoughts into people's brains, telling them to kill themselves, telling them not to trust this person, telling them that they should harm this person, this kind of thing. Um, or they can develop quite fixed delusions, like paranoid delusions or grandiose delusions. So you come to believe there's a conspiracy and it becomes quite fixed when you're more unwell. Or you can have really fragmented, disordered thoughts that then make it very difficult to understand what the person's thinking at any one time. So these are kind of the positive symptoms. Um, and then the negative symptoms are things like low mood and an inability to express emotions and emotions not linking with thoughts and kind of depression. So these are, these are the symptoms. And uh, the main treatment for schizophrenia is antipsychotic medication, which does something with dopamine and serotonin receptors in the brain. I don't understand it at all, because like I said, I'm not a psychiatrist. But, um, but that's, the, that's the main treatment. Um, <clears throat> and like I say, again... Um, I'm not saying that schizophrenia is the same thing as demonic possession in any way, shape or form. But, um, but, but back in May, uh, I, was, I was talking with Johnny here about, about something, and, and we were kind of... I'd just been reading about the, the Gerasene demoniac um, in Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 26 to 37. Um, I'm not going to read from it now, but... Do you know, the last thing I did before I went to bed yesterday was said to myself that in the morning I must get loads of little bookmarks and put them in my Bible so I know where to turn to um, for all the different scriptures I'm going to read. And I didn't do that at all, so that's good. Um, so, so the Gerasene demoniac um, is, is a man in the area of Gerasene, funnily enough, and, um, and he's the one that you might know. He's delivered of many demons. And the many de- he says, what's your name? And they say, Legion, for we are many. And there are many demons. And Jesus casts them out of him. And they beg to go into a herd of pigs. And he casts them into the herd of pigs. And they run down the hill. But, um, but this man, this man, he'd been possessed by a long time. For a long time he'd been homeless and naked living in a cemetery outside the town. The spirit often took control of the man, this is in verse 29. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness under the demon's power. Um, and this is what I'd read at the time. And, um, and at the time, I was, basically, I was, I was reminded of, of this thing I'd, I'd witnessed in my work, and this was quite an extreme thing that happened. But... Um, Basically, this, this person didn't take their medication for a period of time. And when people with schizophrenia don't take their medication, they usually have what's called a relapse. And that's when their symptoms kind of come back and they really have their, and they have their symptoms. So that's when they'll hear voices and, um, and have their thought disorders and, and develop delusions and things like this. And, and this person um, in our hostel, they became really unwell. Um, they became really paranoid and suspicious. Thought people were trying to poison them. And then, uh, like, drank their own urine because they wouldn't trust anything that anyone else had. And then, and then kind of, t- and then, and then one day they didn't recognise anyone, any of the staff, and they were kind of attacking people. And then eventually, um, 
So we, we called the police. And, uh, and, and bless you if you're a policeman here, because we need, we need more uh, Christian policemen. And, uh, and the police were quite close to respond, close, slow to respond with this person. And so we witnessed this person kind of around, around about an hour in the garden of the project, kind of watching out, out of a window, waiting for the police to come. And, and this person was, was just wearing, like, underwear. And uh, he, like, climbed up some railings and shouted undecipherably into a window. And then he went over and, for no reason at all, like, smashed up a gazebo we had. And then he threw, a, like, a plant pot at the building. And then he came and pounded on the door. And then he snarled and shouted a bit more. And then he walked off. Like, just walked off. Like along the street, um, and and subsequently went and attacked lots of people, like everyone he came across, he attacked, and it didn't end very well. But um, I'm not, that's not what I'm going to talk about. Um, but 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 basically, basically, what it um, what it occurred to me there was, uh, and when I prayed about this with Johnny, and when we'd when we'd read this bit about the Gerasene demonium, I started to think what Jesus would have done. Well, I know, you can see. I started to think we know what Jesus would have done with this sort of behaviour. Now, I'm not saying that the behaviour that this person displayed was demonic, because he also had, you know, he had a mental illness. I'm not saying it's demonic. But what I'm saying is that we don't like, ordinarily encounter behaviour like that in society. Um, and neither did Jesus. But when Jesus saw it, he did, something, he did something about it. And so the feeling I kind of got was to start to wonder whether what I did in my work was more like the townspeople who tried to shackle... Um, who tried to shackle the Gerasene demoniac rather than Jesus who like healed the Gerasene demoniac. These are the thoughts I have. And I don't have a conclusion to that, and I'm not speaking ill of anyone, who, a Christian who works in mental illness. You understand what my thought processes are. It's not that easy to explain. But basically, I started thinking, like, was I more like the people shackling him rather than Jesus? And the conclusion I obviously, the conclusion I obviously came to is that I don't walk in the same way and the same power that Jesus had with regard to delivering demons or healing the demon-possessed or healing people. Um, And we certainly don't walk with the same power that Jesus had in that Jesus got a boat to where the Gerasene demoniac was and got out the boat and the man with demons started shouting, why are you here, Jesus? Don't torture me. Why are you here? So it's not that Jesus went up to the Gerasene demoniac. The Gerasene demoniac came to Jesus and started begging him not to torture him. And so that's not the power that we have, and that's not the, the walk that we have with regards to, to demons or the demonic or, or any of this. That's not the walk that we have. And this was particularly highlighted to me here. And so, it's, so what I wanted to do with the sermon was, was, maybe, was like look at Jesus' walk and his ministry to the demonic, and see what we can learn. Because, because, you know, at the end of Mark, at the end of Mark, uh, Jesus says, like, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Go and preach the good news. And then he says, heal the sick, 
cast out demons. And then he also says a bit about drinking poison and picking up snakes, which we kind of, we try and pretend isn't there because we don't know what it means. But he says, heal the sick and cast out demons and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's the authority he gives to us at the end there. And so, really, just taking the Bible at face value, the simplicity of that command, our walk with regard to the demonic and demons should be the same as Jesus's. Um, and and you're, we're going to come on to it a bit later, but there's a bit where, where Jesus... Basically, uh, Jesus says, I'm delivering demons by the Spirit of God. That's what he says. It's by the Holy Spirit that demons are being delivered. And we've been filled with that. Many of us have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of us have been filled with the Holy Spirit. So we possess the same Spirit. And I don't see us walking down the street and demons calling out to us, where are you going, John? Where are you going? Don't torture me. I don't see, I don't see that with any of us. So, there's, so there's, you know, there's a gap with where the Bible says we should be and where we actually are. Um, for all of us, for every single one of us, so that's good, uh, and we're going to look um, at that over the next two weeks to see what we might do in this area and whether there's anything we need to learn from what we are, where we are now and, and where we could be and things like this. But today, I'm just looking at the time. Today, I'm going to talk about what demons are and where they are, um, like where they are in the Bible, and trying to like set the picture of the demonic and where we are. So, uh, so what are demons? That's the first. That's my like my first point. What are demons? Those will be taking notes. Okay, so an easy definition of demons. So demons are evil angels that sinned against God and now continually work evil in the world. Evil angels that sinned against God and now continually work evil in the world. And so if they're evil angels, I'll give you a definition of angels as well, so we're really clear. Angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgments, independent thought, high intelligence, but no body. So, uh, so that's the definition we're working off. So that's what angels are, and then demons are like evil angels. They sinned against God, and now they work continual evil in the world. And so when God created the world, um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, you don't have to look that one up, because it's quite a short one. Everything was very good. It says everything was very good. Now, it's not until I kind of looked at this that my own thoughts on this matter kind of crystallised. But, um, like, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, I don't even need to look this up, says God created the heavens and the earth. So God made the heavens, like, at the beginning, at the same time as the earth, when God made the heavens, that's what the Bible says there. Um, And so God created all the angels there, so he created all the angels like there at the start of Genesis. And it was good. So, so there at the start, there's all the, like, he makes all the angels. So there aren't, any, there aren't any demons at the start of creation because everything's very good. And so everything was very good except for the evil angels who continually work evil in the world. 
everything was very good. Um, so then some point between there, so that's Genesis chapter 131, some point be- between there and Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, um, the devil and the demons have stopped being very good and now they've fallen and they're evil. Um, so that kind of, that kind of places, and, I, and I'm kind of taking this from like a, if you believe the Bible's literal and so you can kind of laugh under your breath. If you don't believe that, that's fine. But, but I'm taking this with the Bible being literal. So it's between God making the world and Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. That's the time gap in which the devil and the demons fell. So that kind of dates the fall of, the, the fall of Satan and stuff like that, which I found quite interesting because I'd previously not really thought of it like that. Maybe you all had, but, but I found that reasonably interesting. So, so that's where the devil fell. And the, and the reason that the devil fell... Um, it's that there was an angelic rebellion uh, in the Bible. And uh, so, uh, in the Bible. Um, so, 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 4. Um, again, it's just one verse, but if you're really speedy, you could turn to it. Um, it says, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness, where they are being held until the day of judgment. And then Jude, verse 6. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has, left, has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. <clears throat> so... Um, so the angels fell, and, uh, and as Jude suggests, uh, they did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. So there's a suggestion there of the sin of pride. So they weren't content with the position that God had given them and created them for, and so they left that posi- position. And as Jonathan said a couple of weeks ago, or maybe been three weeks ago, um, there's, there's two scriptures in the prophets that seem to talk about, describe the fall of Satan, who obviously is the, is the prince of demons. So Isaiah chapter 14, uh, we are going to read, and the other one's in Ezekiel, but we're not going to read that one, but Isaiah chapter 14. So uh, Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah is writing about the king of Babylon and his fall, but, but, but kind of around verse 12, he seems to switch and he's using language that you wouldn't use for an earthly king. So it's kind of here that God's led him to start to describe the fall of Satan in the heavenlies. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. Uh, that son of the morning, that's the only use of the word Lucifer in the Bible. And that's why people refer to Satan as Lucifer, because that's star of the morning. Uh, you have been thrown down to the earth, you who have destroyed nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, to its lowest depths. So, uh, so Satan was the originator of sin. Uh, his was the first sin and it was the sin of pride and the attempt to elevate himself as equal 
or above God. Um, And then his punishment was decided there. He will be sent down to the depths. He'll be sent to the pit. And so that's his punishment. And it's almost like, like, if you date this to happening, like shortly before the serpent comes to tempt Adam and Eve, it's like Satan sinned and his punishment is decided and he fought, like he's banished from heaven. And later in Revelation it says that Satan took a third of the angels. So it's a third of the angels who also sinned. So they're immediately banished from heaven and they're told that will be their punishment. And immediately they come to earth, Satan takes the form of the serpent and he immediately tempts Adam and Eve into eating the apple as well. So he tempts them to sin straight away. And so you get a picture straight away that having fallen, having been destined for the pit, Satan starts to try and take mankind with him. So he seduces Adam and Eve to sin, knowing that this will separate them from God. And therefore, when he goes to the eternal punishment of hell, as many of mankind will go with him as he can. So this is the purpose of Satan. This is the purpose of Satan. And it's almost like, with this understanding, as soon as he falls, as soon as he falls, he sees them in the garden and he tries and he seduces them straight away so he brings sin into it. So Satan's the original of sin. And that's why Jesus says that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus calls Satan the murderer from the beginning, a liar and the father of lies. Now he doesn't mean Satan was a murderer from the beginning of his life. He means from the beginning, like from the origin of the world, Satan was a murderer. Because it's Satan that tempted Adam and Eve to sin and brought death into the world. And he's the father of lies because his is the first lie to Adam and Eve. Surely you won't die. So he's the father of light, and and his purpose is to take as many of mankind to his punishment, the hell that's prepared for him, as he can. That's his purpose. So he tempted Adam and Eve. Um, Like, sin is then crouching at the door of Cain, like we looked at, to tempt Cain to 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 man's first murder. And then later, Satan tries to persuade Jesus to sin during the temptation in the desert. So the purpose of Satan and the demons is to use lies and deception. So lies, he's the father of lies and a liar. And deception in Revelation 12, verse 9, Satan's described as the one deceiving the whole world. And so the purpose is, Satan's purpose now, he is destined for hell. His purpose is to cause as many people to turn away from God and be blinded to the gospel and to God and to take them to hell as he can. That's his purpose. And the demons, are he's like the prince of demons. They follow him. They're his minions. And he uses every, they use every tactic to blind people to the gospel. There's something that says that in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, if you're writing them down. Or to, to use temptation and doubt and fear and confusion and sickness to hinder the witness of Christians, to hinder their effectiveness, to hinder their ability to wage war against him. So that's what demons are doing. It's like their future is set, they are going to hell, they will be defeated because they were created beings like everyone else. They can't compare to the power of God. They can only do what he allows them to do. The Bible shows that in several places. And their future is set but their mission, and the mission of Satan, is to take as many people to hell as they can. 
Okay, so that's what demons are. Um, so for the rest of today, uh, we're going to look uh, at demons in the Bible to get the picture of, of, the, of the ages. Um, and the first age is the Old Testament. Uh, so this is the era in between the fall of man and the coming of Christ. That's, that's the Old Testament era. You probably knew that already. Um, okay, so the first mention... Uh, of what could be a demon, or what's translated as a demon in my concordance, is a Hebrew word which is says, and this refers to goat idols. So Leviticus chapter 17 verse 7, and 2 Chronicles 11 verse 15. Again, you probably don't need to look all these up, uh, but if you write them down, you can look at them later. So this word, the word here is says, and it's like a goat idol, um, and this, first of all, this is like they're in the desert and they form their own goat idols from Leviticus. And then secondly, it's, I think it's the king Jeroboam has taken the goat idols of the other nations. And this word says, so it kind of suggests like a goat spirit. And it's a, it, this is kind of quite interesting with where we want to start here. Because... Um, it's like they built a statue of a goat and then it becomes something else. They become, it becomes like a goat demon kind of thing. Um, and that's the point we're going to look at here with, with these other two references. And you probably can look both of these up. Deuteronomy 32, verse 17. The first. I'll read that. This is in the Song of Moses. And it says... From verse 16, they stirred up his jealousy by worshipping foreign gods. They provoked his fury with detestable deeds. They offered sacrifices to demons which are not God, to gods they had not known before. And in Psalm 106, verse 37, the other one. Give you a bit more time. For it. No, I'm just going to read it. You can look up there. Israel, from verse 34, Israel failed to destroy the nations in the land as the Lord had commanded them. Instead, they mingled among the pagans and adopted their evil customs. They worshipped their idols, which led to their downfall. Verse 37, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, by sacrificing them to the idols of Canaan. Okay, um, so, so these are kind of written, Deuteronomy is written before Israel goes in the land, so you can see that while they were in the desert, there was elements of them worshipping foreign idols. And then Psalm 106.37 is written when Israel has been established. This is talking about what happened when Israel was in the land of Canaan, their promised land. It's talking about both of those. Um, and, um, and it, there's three, there's kind of three gods um, which, we, which we kind of think of mostly for these Old Testament ones. And, and as a church, we looked, at, we looked at Baal and Asherah last year when Jonathan preached about Elijah. Um, and if you hadn't heard that, um, go on the podcasts and the very first one of the sermons on Elijah last year talked about Baal and Asherah, who were, the, who were the gods. And Baal and Asherah were, when uh, Israel invaded the land of Canaan, 
um, God left a few left a few tribes in the land, and and so that Israel, when their children grew up, they could train them as soldiers and practice on these people who remained in the land. That's that's why he left them there. And instead of doing that, Israel married the daughters of these people in the land and started worshipping their gods. And so Baal and Asherah worship entered into the land of Israel. They started worshipping these idols alongside God. And, uh, and when we looked at Baal and Asherah, uh, Baal was, this is on my memory for this one, was kind of related in a way to fertility and, and the success of their crops. Um, and so if you were like a farming people, the success of your crops was absolutely vital for your sufficiency and, and how you lived. Um, and sacrifices to Baal might have been made to kind of encourage your crops to grow well. And so we're kind of related to sufficiency. And then Asherah was to do with fertility. So Asherah is like a, a, like a, a female god. Um, and the, she's marked with like Asherah poles. Um, which we don't like to think about too much. My mother-in-law's here. But basically these were like phallic symbols. They were phallic symbols all over the, the land. So, and the worship of Baal and Asherah was marked with, with prostitution, with, with temple prostitution, both male and female. Um, and then there's this other god we see quite a lot in the Bible called Molech or Moloch. Moloch was the god of the Ammonites in the land. And when they took over the land of Canaan, they, they, again, they started worshipping Molech alongside God. And Molech is a god best known for people sacrificing their children to the god. So you would sacrifice your child to Molech, that Molech might have things go well for you. And the point which, which I felt Jonathan made back when he talked about these uh, was that if we look at our society now, um, th- like the idols, if you see, if Baal represents sufficiency and therefore materialism, and Asherah worships, se- like Asherah is the worship of like sex and, and fertility, but, but mostly sex, then these two idols really are still present in our society, that they're still being, being worshipped in our society. This was the point, this was the point made. And that, and that just as Elijah came to a land full of this detestable worship of materialism and prosperity and sex, just as he came to speak to that land, that our role now is to come and speak to this land which has its idols of materialism and sufficiency and sex, that just, just, as, just as they came there, that Elijah came... So these are still the idols in our society. And I don't like to... Again, I don't want to offend anyone. And, it, and Molech, this worship of Molech, seems, it seems horrendous to us that you would sacrifice your child, that things may go well with you, and that, that for, your, for your sufficiency, that you would sacrifice your child. But there's now been 56 million abortions in America uh, since, uh, since they started. And in the UK, still one out of five pregnancies ends in a termination. Um, and so I would suggest, just as the, as the principles behind Baal and Asherah worship were there, 
I would suggest that the principle behind Molech worship still remains in our society. I would suggest those, those things still remain. And, um, and so we have the same idolatry, really, in our society that, that were present in Israel. Um, but, you know, we, we're, we're much more enlightened than them, so we don't build statues and bow down to the statues. But because, you know, we're so much more enlightened. But really, the same principles are what people are worshipping. That makes sense. We kind of grasp that. Then it, when we see from Psalm 106, then we have a, there's a, like, there's a problem. There's like a problem in our society. Um, and, and the reason I kind of thought about it, because you kind of look, I don't know if, like when you read before about the worship of Baal and stuff like this, I think it's quite easy see like their worship of Baal was basically they're worshipping nothing. So they built a stat like they built a statue and they worshipped it, but essentially they were worshipping nothing. You know, and we might think in the same way that atheists would think we're gathered here and singing our songs and speaking about nothing, something which is imaginary, we're speaking about nothing, that I might also think that the idols that they worshipped were nothing. So like when Israel built the golden calf, they built a statue of a golden calf and they worshipped it and they were worshipping a statue and there's nothing, that's ridiculous. And so we could look at it and understand that there's like, that Israel had a real God and everyone else had imaginary gods. And so Yahweh's the real God and nobody else and there aren't any other gods. You see what I mean? You see what I'm saying? Now, what Psalm here would suggest that that's not true, that actually the other gods were demons. So Baal was a demon, and Asherah was a demon, and Molech was a demon. And, uh, and, and you know, you are, when, Elijah, when Elijah meets the prophets of Baal, like, they cry out and cut themselves, and Baal doesn't say anything, and he makes that joke about maybe he's on the toilet. And so it's quite easy to think Baal doesn't, like Baal doesn't exist. They're all crying out to nothing, and Elijah's crying out to the real God. But that's not what it says, because they sacrificed to the demons. They didn't sacrifice to made-up gods. They sacrificed to the demons. So... Uh, and, and I want to look at the story of the golden calf quickly, which is in Exodus 32. Because this kind of shows what, we're, what this point I'm making is. They, um, so Moses is up the mountain, I'm paraphrasing. Moses is up the mountain and it takes for ages to come down and Israel say, where is this man Moses? He's up the mountain, surrounded by thunder and fire. The same thunder that terrified you not 40 days before. But where's Moses? We want some more gods. And so Aaron, knowing that this is a foolish people, asks them for their gold rings and their gold. He melts the gold down and he makes a statue of a calf. And says, and puts it before the people. And they say, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. And now in my Bible there, the word he uses there is, he says, to the Lord. 
So that suggests that he said this tomorrow will be a festival to Yahweh. So the implication actually is that Aaron, having seen the people's need to worship something, has built a calf like which will represent God to them. And so they will come and worship this calf, and the calf will be a representation of Yahweh, which they will worship. And so he says it'll be a festival to the Lord. So in his head, they're going to worship this calf, which represents God, and that's what their worship will be. So he's pacifying their desire to have a God by saying, well, I've made a picture of God, you can worship this. That's what he says. And then they, have, then they get up the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and indulged in pagan reverie. But there's, some, like, there's something... See, my reading of this story was kind of in a new way. Like, they started off by making sacrifices and burnt offerings, and it seemed quite, it seemed quite holy and quite appropriate. And by the end, pagan reveries burst out. Pagan reverie. They might have drunk, they might have danced. They were probably... You know, I... Th- I look at this, this went on for days, this was probably like an orgy and a drunken party. And so it started, like what started out with Aaron meaning it to be worship of God, because he says Yahweh, he thinks it's an image of God that they're going to worship, and something else happens. Like it transforms from a reasonably sombre occasion with burnt offerings to like it just turns into this like vast pagan orgy type thing. And that's because there's like a shift in the atmosphere when they start to worship the calf. Because the calf, it's like to start with, the calf is like a golden statue. But something changes when they start to worship the calf. And they start to become pagan revelry. Like it it just starts to transform. And I think that that's because, in the same way Baal and Asherah were doing, it's like, when idolatry takes place, when there's the worship of an idol, there's like a spiritual connection. But here, as it is with Baal with the spiritual connection's with a demon. And so it starts to, like, the atmosphere starts to transform. So what started off being meant to be the worship of God has instead become the worship of demons. And therefore it's marked with pagan reverie and destructive behaviour and and sex and whatever else. I'm obviously extrapolating that a little bit. And then Aaron says later, when he tries to explain what's happened, he, and he might be making an excuse, but he basically, Aaron says, he, like he took all the gold, and then out of the fire came this calf. And you see, I'm reading this, I had this different sense of this, that basically what happened was, they built a statue, and it almost did become a god to them. It like it came, the statue became, like came alive. Out of the statue came, like it took on its own form. And that's because when we worship idols, when we bring our hearts to idols, there is a spiritual connection. You know, we've talked about, we've talked about recently, Jonathan talked about this, that praise is when we declare God's name, but worship is where our hearts make a connection with the Spirit of God. So that's what worship is. It's a spiritual connection with God. When we worship idols, there is also a spiritual connection between our heart, with our heart. But the spiritual connection is with a demon. It's with a demon. And um, 
you, you see again that there's, that there's kind of something else here. It's like uh, the chapter in Ju- Judges 3, verses 1 to 6, and this is where they haven't put to death the people in the land, and instead they marry with the daughters, the people of Israel. And it's like straight away they marry them, they start to worship their gods. There's something seductive about the idols that we can see. There's something seductive about the idols. Like it grips them. And um, it's not, you know, the idols of the land, you just, you see it, they were not statues of nothing. The pole, like the Asherah poles, they weren't just poles to nothing. And when people worshipped there, they were making a spiritual connection. And that's why it's so seductive. And that is why, you know, when, when they come, when the people come to Canaan, when, they, when Israel comes to Canaan, they come to take the land over, they're told to kill everyone in all of the towns and all of the animals and everything. And when you think about it, that meant they had to come and kill all the babies. You know, and I had this, in, this conversation when I did street pastors with someone. And they were basically, you know, they were the people who have read the Bible a lot and don't like the Bible and, and can, can contradict Christians really easily type of people. And they were saying, how can you say that a God who basically instructed repeated genocide uh, can be good? But the thing, you know, the thing here is the reason they had to come and kill everyone in the towns and destroy the towns was because the, like the idols and the gods of those they were demon worshippers. Those children would have grown up to be demon worshippers and they would have seduced Israel to worship those demons. That's what, that's what idolatry is. It's the worship of demons. And, 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 you know, and, the, and the point, as, as we kind of finish on, on this bit, the point I want to make is this, right? Satan's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. His mission is, like, his mission, his future is set. He will be, like, hurled into the pit and endure, like, eternal punishment. That's it. He is going to be defeated. But his purpose now is to take as many people on earth with him by blinding them to the truth of God and taking them to hell. That's his purpose. And in the Old Testament age, the way that he did that, the main way we see him doing that, is that he got his demonic minions to like embody these idols and these statues that people who worshipped them would commune with demons and not commune with God. That was his means. That was his means of attack against Israel to get them to break their covenant with God and so that they would, so they would come out of relationship with God. That was his strategy, right? That was his strategy, to get his demons to embody the idols that they would worship. Now, you live in a church age. You live in the church age. Christ has come. Satan, is, Satan will be vanquished. And this is a time... He will not tarry for long and he will return and Satan will be hurled to the pit. Now, why do you think with Satan's future set that the idols we now worship are not possessed by, that they are not demonic, that they are just distractions? The television in the corner of your living room, the vast 40-inch shrine in the corner of your living room, why, why, if Baal... Why, if Baal was a demon, is that modern idol not a demon? Why? Why, when Satan is defeated, 
when he's defeated and he has to take as many with him? Why now would he stop using his demons to represent idols? The idols of this land, of comfort, of money, of sex, of television, of entertainment, of all of these things, the Bible would tell you that those idols, when you connect your heart with them, that demons, that you are connecting with a demon, that you make a spiritual connection with a demon. That is why the second commandment in the Bible is, do not make an image of anything on the earth or in the air or under the sea and worship it. Because Satan's purpose to steal, kill and destroy, his means is that the other things that grab our attention and we bring our hearts to, that his demons will use them to ensnare us. And we need to take the subject of idolatry seriously. And, uh, and uh, we're going to look at that next week because I've got loads more to say. But, um, okay, thanks. You can take a breath while I look for another piece of paper. Um, okay, uh, you know, actually, I'm going to say one more thing and then I'm going to finish. Okay, um, the idea of, of demon possession is not seen that often in, in the Old Testament. The idea of a, of a spirit uh, possessing or influencing a person. It's not seen that often. But, um, but it is seen in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. And if in your head were you were going, well, that was Saul when the Lord sent a tormenting spirit, then congratulations. That's 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. And then it ends up being David that comes. Whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. And there's a, there's a couple of things I just want to draw out on this. And then we're going to leave, leave everything else for next time. Um, so, so the Lord allowed this spirit to come and torment Saul. And, uh, and that's reasonably close to where, where God allows Satan to come and uh, to wreak havoc on Job's life. There's this element of the power of demons being limited, and it's only through God's, God allowing them to, to use that much power. And that, and that kind of fits with the idea that they're held in the eternal chains that, that Peter talks about. So actually, the, the ability of demons to operate is somewhat bound by, by those chains. But, um, but he allows this spirit to come upon Saul. And, um, and it's, it's when David comes and plays his harp that that stops. But if you look in, uh, slightly earlier, it's, it's only just before that David's been anointed. And verse 13 says, And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And... Um, and uh, so just, it's because of the anointing of the Spirit that David's playing is allowed 
that David's playing causes the spirit to flee. Um, And it's kind of as a precursor to what we see later with Jesus, that it's the spirit of God that causes the demon to flee. Uh, So David plays, and it's like his plan becomes anointed. And in the presence of that anointed plan, the, the, the spirit has to flee. But the other thing we see is, in, uh, in chapter 19, verse 9, that, that the spirit comes back. The spirit comes back. Um, but what we'll look at next time uh, with, uh, with, with the ministry of Jesus is that the, this partial victory becomes a complete victory over, uh, over Satan and the demons. Um, I'm going to end... I'm going to end. I'm going to end the sermon here today. Um, next time we're going to move on to talk about about Jesus, and uh, and uh, his ministry to the demons. Uh, but but I, I do want to leave you with the thought and the thing to pray this week. The idols of the land are are serious. And idolatry in our hearts is serious. And, you know, this week, let us all commit to coming before God and just begging him to reveal the idols of our heart, that which we have kept away, that which we, the idols which we have yet to tear down, like the the kings who used to come against the idols, used to come and tear down the Asherah poles and destroy the idols of worship. Let us search ourselves and let God search us. And know our, like it says, search me, O God, and know my heart, that he might reveal to us the idols that we've still kept there. Because they're not, it's not just a statue. And it's not just, it's not just materialism, and it's not just, and it's not just a TV, and it's not just these things. And we need God to search us, because this is a serious, this is a serious thing. So I'll hand back to Jonathan. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.